Hello, I'm Sister Lisa coming to you today from the ill, the Edwin Elder Library. And today we are going to continue in Brother Ken Gurley's book, The Book on Prayer, um, page 66. Last time I stopped at the very top, top two sentences of this page, uh, just to finish what my thought was the last time. But as I'm reading through this book, um, I may occasionally do a little bit of ad-lib if, if something that he has said um, sparks something that um, touches my heart that I feel like I um, have a testimony to share or just a little insight, not, not to add to his book. I hope you know that just as part of my podcast. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say that before I started. Okay, page 66. The risen life of Jesus Christ now lives within us. Our life is hidden in him, Colossians 3, 1-4. The divine life is revealed in your human experience. You can be so wholly submitted to him, he lives through you. His hands are your hands. His words are your words. His thoughts are your thoughts. His ways are your ways. In the natural, only we are seen. In the supernatural, his life can be seen in us. We saints are the hidden ones. Our opacity, O-P-A-C-I-T-Y, plummets to complete transparency, such that Jesus is revealed in us, hiding in plain sight for all to see. When we lose grip on our own will, God invites us to see and hear things far beyond our understanding. Jeremiah 33 and 3. Paul was no stranger to David's magnificent obsession. Philippians 3 and 10. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and clearly. Paul longed to know Jesus, not in a casual way, but in a more profound manner, beyond an intellectual understanding. Paul desired to know Jesus progressively, experimentally, and intimately. Jesus was Paul's one magnificent obsession. I'm looking back at that word I said, and I think it's not experimentally. It's E-X-P-E-R-I-E-N-T-I-A-L-L-Y, experientially. The, um, this obsession was not impure. It was all-consuming. Once Paul encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road, he wanted to know everything about him, what pleased him, what displeased him. He tried to follow after God with all of his heart. Someone or something in this life will capture our attention. Someone or something will arrest our gaze. Someone or something will seize our every waking moment. Who or what will that be? Duty is an indecent obsession. Colleen McCullough, in her first breakout novel, The Thornbirds, described it as such. Love can be repelled by someone's sense of duty or obligation to a lesser something. True love passes some folks by because of their outsized sense of responsibility. It happened to the church in Ephesus, Revelation 2, 1-7. She was seduced by the secondary. Her duty was defined as holding to the right doctrine and hating those who strayed from it. In keeping to, the, the, in keeping to these lesser obligations, she permitted the primary to slip through her midst. Hers was an indecent obsession, not a magnificent obsession. Augustine coined an interesting phrase, O-R-D-O, ordo, A-M-O-R-U-M, amorum, 
ordo amorum, the ordering of the loves. The most essential thing in life you will do is to choose your passions, then to carefully order them from the greatest to least. When others and other things are placed first, then the sin of Ephesus has been repeated. How strongly did the risen Lord detest this in Ephesus? He would rather have the ancient city in darkness than to have a church obsessed with duty than divine love. Divine love. Lesser things and relationships should never precede God. Seeking God, knowing God, loving God comes first, always. Leonard Ravenhill, Ravenhill, Leonard Ravenhill was an English preacher who died in 1994 and was buried in Texas. He devoted himself to revival and revival prayer. Toward the end of his life, he was once asked why he thought the major problem with churches in, in North America. He quickly replied, we don't know God. We just don't know him. Oh my. That reminds me, before I go to the next page, that reminds me when I was um, just just a teenager. Uh, I had moved to Kansas to help out in what I thought was a home missions church. It was it was not a home it wasn't considered a home missions church. But my uncle, my pastor, the pastor there, he was the director of home missions. But I know that uh, while I was there, we did uh, a lot. I mean, it's like every night there was something going on at the church and. Um, even during the day, we were like making candy and selling candy, um, the peanut brittle and fudge and um, divinity and peanut butter balls. Uh, as a fundraiser for the church, we did that like in the fall, and, I, and sometimes we did it in the in the spring too. Um, but anyway, um, we was doing that, and also there's prayer meetings, which is very important, of course, and um, church on Tuesday and Thursday nights, and Sunday morning and Sunday night. Saturday night was prayer, um, and then sometimes we had revivals. And when they have revivals, most of the time, um, maybe once in a while, they'd have Monday nights off. But most of the times, it was like straight through. And it was, I, it was please don't think I'm knocking that. I'm not. But I remember that at, at my young age and stuff. And also, I had to work a job. I was working a job. And then um, I just asked my aunt, I just asked Sister Elder, I said, So can you be so busy working for God that you don't even know Him? You know, I was young enough that I was white. I, I just knew that I was doing I was just, there wasn't any time to really spend, to really uh, seek into the Bible. And so I, I, I was wise at my age, I was wise at, my, at that age to realize that, that you can be so busy trying to, to do everything that you don't have time for Him. You've got to, we've got to take time to know the Lord. Yes, those other things are important too. That's why I said, please don't take this out of context. Those are important as well. But we must all have that relationship with God. It's just like Mary and Martha. You know, um, you can you can even apply that to uh, what I was just talking about. Martha, you know, she wanted to make sure everything was right, and she wanted to. She was serving um, Jesus and the guests and everything, and she wanted everything to be tip top shape and everything to be delicious and um, everything to go smoothly. And when she saw her sister sitting at Jesus' feet, she became irate. She says, "Master." Can you make my sister come and help me? You know, that kind of thing because and she was surprised. I'm sure she was surprised by the Lord's answer. The Lord said that Mary had chose the the more important thing. She had chose the best thing, sitting at Jesus' feet, having a relationship with him. And, oh, God, that is the most important. Oh, that we may know you, God. Oh, that we might know you. So let me get back to Brother um, 
Gurley's book, page 68. We know stories about him. We know about him. I almost missed that very top part. We know what we know about him. We know stories about him. Uh, most Western believers, however, have never truly caught a glimpse of one pure and holy passion. We do not single-mindedly pursue seeking his face. Pray, pray, pray. John G. Lake was a towering figure following the Azusa Street Revival, 1906 to 1909. He held a lucrative position with an insurance company but left it to follow wholly after the Lord. He received the baptism of the Spirit at the Azusa Street Mission. His ministry was marked with prayerfulness and remarkable divine demonstrations. Lake once told the story of an angel who appeared to him while he read the book of Acts. Lake said the angel pointed to him each time the Spirit of God was poured out in the early church, and each outpouring was preceded a season of seeking God's face. The angel then told Lake, This is Pentecost as God gave it through the heart of Jesus. Strive for this, contend for this, teach people to pray for this. For this and this alone will meet the necessity of the human heart, and this alone will have the power to overcome the forces of darkness. When the angel left Lake, when the angel left Lake, he said, Pray, pray, pray. Teach the people to pray. Prayer and prayer alone, much prayer, persistent prayer, is the door of entrance into the heart of God. Page 69. A subjective, fanciful experience, you say. Well, possibly it was. But who can doubt the validity the validity of these words? They are issued and reissued in different forms and mouthpieces down through the ages. As the man after God's own heart and God once dialogued. Psalms 27, 8, 9. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. God invites us to seek his face. Believers down through the ages have accepted that invitation and pledged to seek his face. It was David's passion to seek God's face. It was his greatest fear that God would hide his face from him. Psalms 51:11. Here is my pledge to God. I want to see your face. I will seek your face. I will permit your face to be seen in me. Once thought, one thought, one thought, in closing this day's devotion, respond. Don't wait on anyone else. Be seized alone by that magnificent obsession. Maybe, just maybe, others will be drawn into the same pure and holy passion. Seek him today. I hear divine footsteps. This concludes page 69. And even though there's a little bit more of this devotion, I'll save it for tomorrow. God bless you. You have a wonderful day. Please subscribe to my channel if you have not, my podcast, and invite others as well. And uh, my husband and I do also have the Mark and Lisa Peter. Our last name is Peter, P-E-T-E-R. Mark and Lisa Peter, Hazelwood USA YouTube channel, or Weebly.com is our webpage. So God bless Hazelwood USA, Weebly.com is our webpage. So you have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.